fear inside it grows below the upper line. So and welcome to another episode of Rebel City Podcast. This will be COVID fucking files episode what four? Something like that, are we in? I think so, I yeah. I think we're on episode four, but we got a lot of good feedback last week, man. There's been a, a good amount of uh, YouTube comments, and I was getting a lot of DMs where people are saying that they're just enjoying me and you sitting talking shit. So long may it continue, I suppose. I, I mean, there was there was that much nice praise that somebody even made its way back to me, which was quite pleasant because <laughs> usually all I ever get is the fucking dogs abuse. You know what I mean? There must be something in it, you no know, being the personal. Uh, like profiles because when I post on Instagram basically all that I do is post to my Instagram story give a wee bit of sort of flavour of what the episode about is about and then ask people to just listen and share and I get tagged mm-hmm. in at least four or five Instagram stories where people are saying that they're listening to the programme and then I get a fair amount of DMs for people like four or five last week saying that they enjoyed the episode um, I know that Hi. we'd said last week that we would have a wee think about guests but um, I think that, I mean, just doing these by ourselves, like I said, I'm enjoying doing them and people seem to be enjoying listening to them, so we just thought, fuck it, yeah. man, just do another one, do you know what I mean? Uh, it's a bit of a welcome outlet as well, I mean, I've, I've got to be honest with you, as I said, I've kind of struggled a wee bit to think about how even they approach guests with everything that's going on at the minute, because it kind of seems to me a bit trivial to be like, oh yeah, you know, oh this is going on in the world, but you want to come on and talk about something, you know what I mean? So, if folk are digging it, as appears to be the case, well, I think we'll just carry on as we have been until, you know, maybe either something better pops up or we have any other ideas. Aye, absolutely, mate, and I'm on board with that. I mean, this week, um, I'm, I've started working for home this week properly, um, and, I mean, I don't think I've ever mentioned who I work for, for personal reasons but I work for a, a telecoms and technologies company let's just say and I'm doing like web chat support um, and I really I mean Monday I've not worked for three weeks so it might have been that um, and that did cross my mm-hmm. mind but Monday getting into the systems and having 40 and 50 web chat conversations happening at the one time I did get a wee bit overwhelmed and did feel a wee bit sort yeah. of anxious on Monday night and then Tuesday it was the same but, uh- Quite a quick fire environment. I've had experience with sort of web chat environments and you know previous call centres and stuff that I've worked in. Um, I they come thick and fast when it's busy, and I've got to imagine that any open sort of customer service channel at the minute anywhere is probably going to be swamped. Absolutely, mate. But, um, I mean, yesterday in the day, well, Thursday the day, my days are just fucking mugging into one. But it's yesterday in the day. We managed, I mean, fair play to the crew that work in, I mean, I work retail and it was a retail team that got put on web chat to deal with this queue and we managed to get rid of it. But yesterday in the day, it's it's been very easy and I've, I, I mean, the most, most 90%, 99% of people are being very, very nice because they understand the situation. But it's been a different week for me because I was dealing with a wee bit of sort of low level anxiety on Monday night and I was thinking to myself, what mm-hmm. the fuck's going on here? And then when I woke up on Tuesday morning, I was like, ah, I get it. Ah, it's just a wee bit stressed for work. And it's a different beast when I think when you can go away somewhere else. Like if I go to work Aye. and then I come home, I've got this mental barrier maybe in the way home where I can just sort of dump and get rid of it. And by the time I come through the door, I can chill out, right? I've decompressed a wee bit. Yep. But gone straight for the laptop to dinner. To, it, it, it sent my head in a wee bit of a spin on Monday and Tuesday. Absolutely. Um, but 
thankfully I'm starting to sort of calm down and settle down a wee bit. Um, it's been a another fucking mental week. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, a, a good place to start might be Scotland's chief medical officer basically thinking that rules don't apply to them. Um, especially when they're the ones I mean, there that are saying these are the rules and we need to stick to these and then they're, they're the one that gets caught and no sticking to it but um, yeah. aye, I mean that, this this situation's just been mental aye. I mean I think first try to sort of pick up on the you know the, the differences and everything that's going on you know even maybe your chief medical officers are susceptible to cabin fever I don't know um, I'm with you in the sense that in the week that I worked for him I found it quite invasive and like in the subsequent weeks you know the lockdown you're talking about days I've kind of like started just scoring numbers on my living room wall so I'm just keeping tally now so I'm all that so like there is a big difference in everybody's day to day lives and like I people maybe want to escape for these things I don't think when your job is to like advocate for social distancing that you know going to your second home and taking your family was the best of ideals. Um, it's, you know, if it was an ordinary day job that you were doing, and I get that the CMO and all the CMOs all around the world are facing a level of scrutiny that they might not have previously ever, you know, expected. Um, maybe some of them did, given that they're obviously professionals in this area. I don't know. But, like, this is this would be the equivalent of gross misconduct in an old job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so... It's one of the ones where they went, oh, but she's had this gluttering career and done great work on women's rights, women's issues, and you're like, cool. But, like, in the moment of crisis, she did 100% the wrong thing. And, like, as a result, you know, I had to fall on the sword. I mean, I, I don't I don't really get why people were like, oh, this is no, you know, what should be happening. It was, I think she was kind of banky rights in a lot of senses. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I agree. I mean, in the moment, I did feel like it was a bit rash and that just due to the circumstance, so in any normal circumstance that that would be what would happen is is that a high-level person goes against the sort of ethics or the what their sort of job remit's supposed to be and that, like you said, mm-hmm. is absolutely gross misconduct and especially in 2020, there's uh-huh. no forgiveness that happens if people step out of line. And there's no in. hiding either. Absolutely. Um there was, but I, I, think, I, did, I, I thought when it got announced later that same day, or I think it was later that same day, I think I seen uh, Loki come on and, and say that they've done the right thing. My initial thought was maybe this is the type of circumstance where we basically she announces our resignation, but after this crisis. So once this yeah. crisis is out, out the road, I will be stepping down because what I've done has been unacceptable. But Mm-hmm. I did think that was maybe a caveat there where they could have went, I, I think that this is too big a deal and I want to stay in the position I've got the experience and blah, blah, blah. But after this is all said and done, I will step aside. But then after I had yeah. about five, ten minutes to think about it and I took my hat off, I took my Scottish, put, put my salt tire away and thought, mm-hmm. what would, if this was the guy that was standing next to Boris, I would be absolutely looking for this guy to step down. So uh-huh. I can't I can't have it one way on one hand and another way on another hand and, and I agree. There's it, also it, been resignations at EU level scientists. I mean the guy who was running the fight against you know COVID nineteen on you know in EU territories also resigned during the week as a result of his handling. So there's a precedent that says look 
even in a time of crisis, when catastrophic mistakes have been made in the context of that situation, like action needs to be taken. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I can I can also see your point in that it would not have been an illegitimate standpoint to say, right, look, yeah, absolutely bank your rights here. But at the same time, let's deal with the immediate crisis first. Right. I mean, I kind of liken it in medical terms to, you know, sitting there in your GP's office and, you know, the GP's getting you stick for smoking while he rattles a 20 deck. You know what I mean? Like, it's the level of level, like, hypocrisy and what was being there that had, action had to be taken. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, the, the hypocrisy of the situation's absolutely like, blatant, but the level of stupidity was, I mean, it... Yeah. It almost confirmed to me this idea that people people have this sort of, or people are starting to wake up to this idea that it's rules for certain people in society and other rules for other. I think there's there, yeah. have, there have been subsections of society, probably predominantly for our point of view, working class people, where they've known that since probably the 60s, let's just say, or the 70s, yeah. where it became apparent, uh, definitely during mm-hmm. the sort of Thatcher years of the 80s, where it was oh. one rule for one and one rule for the other. Um, mm-hmm. But this just really sort of nails that that is the attitude that runs right through the political class and right through the sort of upper middle classes or whatever, I mean, whatever sort of class that these people sort of fit into, that yeah. they do think it's that they don't need to stick to these rules that, that we should do it on mass, but mm, maybe I don't and taking their kids up to a holiday home. Um, yeah. I think the main example, and it was one that when the, the sort of Scottish CMO story broke, I found quite kind of laughable was that they were saying, well, this, you know, the CMO, the doctor get cited by the police, but then we've got Prince Charles and his entourage and blah, 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 you know, just a couple of weeks earlier, uh, you know, how come Prince Charles is not getting the same kind of stick? And, like, in terms of the context of their profiles right now, there is probably, like, a level of comparison that's maybe fair. But at the same time, not to the same extent. I mean, um, I, I just was like, well, who's is there a process in place for citing a member of the royal family? Or who's the, you know, imagine being the, the copper that gets that call, where you're, like, you know, sitting at Windsor Castle dishing at a ticket for you know, no social distancing. You know what I mean? Like I don't. It's a bit of a weird one for me. Where you're like, here's your thousand pound fine, your highness, and Charles is like, if you get change, you a ten thousand pound note. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it was a fair comparison in, in broad terms. I, you know what I mean? How much weight does a fifty quid loitering fine have when your ma's one of the richest people on the fucking planet? I don't know. I mean, I, I get, I get sorry. that comparison with the, the, the sort of Prince Charles thing. I, I kind of get it, but at the same time, I mean, fuck, the police didn't do anything about Andrew. They're not going to do anything about fucking Charles going fucking north with, with COVID and testing positive. It just, it felt, that felt like what boutery to me. Like that just sort of, I, okay, let's point out that other people have got away with this and X, Y, and Z, but at the same time, let's not take our eye off the fact that we've got somebody who is in charge of coming up with the sort of rules and regulations and advising the government in this country on what we should be doing during this crisis and just blatantly fucking ignoring the rules themselves. And like you said, man, it's gross misconduct. She she did the right thing and fell on the sword for me. I think that there was, after like 10, 15 minutes consideration, it was like there was no other thing for it because the, the stupidity and the hypocrisy was just so 
blatant um, and people uh, it just it, it just gave people so much ammunition to throw if they don't have enough already to throw at the Scottish government or perceive that they have enough already to throw at the Scottish government it would just yeah. be another fucking bit in, in their army yeah absolutely I mean and I think it's probably fair to advise that or even discuss that it's not just the Scottish CMO that made you know the mistakes this week um, there have been an increasing number of sort of failings across the UK sort of coming to the fore. Um, my, and it's, it sounds, I'm not going to say favourite, but like the one that I want to just discuss first is the fact that we spent money on 17 million antibody tests that do not work. Mm. As a response to criticism of how little the government has tested, and that's now actually being reflected in some of the, you know, the, the figures we're seeing around death rates, I think. Yeah. They were saying that, you know, We've got some like sixty-five thousand cases, and roughly about ten percent of people with a mortality rate. When elsewhere it was predicted to be in the one to two percent. Yeah, one or two percent has been seen almost everywhere else. Um, but obviously, the UK's lack of testing means that people who do die overly weigh the, the numbers. Yeah, because there is clearly more going on out there than just the recorded cases and. Their answer is order seventeen million antibody tests to find that the, the tests themselves don't actually work. No, this is um, so. This is the yeah. latest and a long line of errors that for this current Tory government. I mean, Dominic Rab is an absolute fucking cock. I mean, this is just what everything that we feared when we voted this current like incarnation. It's almost like. People are looking back misty-eyed at George W. Bush with Trump being in office in America. And I'm sad yeah. to say that we're going to end up looking back misty-eyed. And we already are. You can already see it happening. People are starting to look back misty-eyed and be like, oh, Tony Blair. Like, if you go back three, four months ago when Tony Blair decided to try and put a wee bit of weight behind the sort of um, anti-Brexit message that was coming out, um, even though he told people not to vote for, that he wouldn't vote for Corbyn, but... People were like, fuck off, like, what do we want to know for you for? You're, you're a warmonger, yeah. you fucking, you were, he was one of the big players and allowing the sort of regulations to get dropped so that we ended up with the 2008 financial crisis. You can go and take yeah. a fuck to yourself, but it, the narrative this week has been almost like, oh, Tony Blair said this, so the press have shifted for like, Tony Blair's back out again and here's what he's saying, but we don't really need to pay attention to this sort of like this is what Tony Blair's got to say about the government's response mm -hmm. to COVID. So we're starting to I see a few Americans have been joking about missing George W. Bush as well. I've seen plenty of that chat online because of how catastrophic, you know, the orange orangutan is handling things in America. <laughs> the orange you know orangutan I, mean? I like that. But we've had just this is what everybody feared, or this is what I feared with that election result. I mean nobody's seen this coming round the corner back in December. No. But I think everybody knew that if we were put in a position of crisis that Bojo and his fucking merry men would not be able to cope with us and this is what it looks like is happening. Um, yeah. I mean, who's the... Matt, themselves in a lot of glory. No, is it Matt Hancock? Is that the guy's yeah. name? Yeah. He's another one. He, he's an absolute prick. I mean, the amount of times that you've heard him saying herd immunity was not part of your strategy for people live on TV, like live on fucking TV and radio, they've played him back his own voice 
saying about herd immunity <laughs> like three weeks ago, and the guy is adamant that it was never officially never officially part. We've always yeah. went with the signs, and these people are just. I mean, I heard this week there was quite a bit of um, talk about maybe like a sort of national assembly um, getting people from across all political parties to come together and help deal with this crisis and don't just leave it down to the cabinet who are on Zoom calls fucking having video wanks with each other. But I I don't know how you feel about about that idea. I genuinely think that that is the fucking best idea. And why why have we not been doing that since the fucking beginning? It's unprecedented. We've never faced anything like this before. Why are we not downing tools of politics and party politics and just come together and fix this fucking mess, and then we can go back to the fucking stupidity of normal political life? Because the normal stupidity of political life is partly what's caused the issue. I mean, the Conservatives decided, I mean, I think Johnson, and we'll go on to him in a, in a few minutes, um, seen this as his potentially sort of Churchillian moment that, you know, he was the man of destiny who was there to lead the nation through the COVID crisis, uh, and then obviously shit got out of hand, and Probably some sort of national assembly um, or, you know, national government might have been a better idea for, as you say, an unprecedented situation. I don't know. It's, it's you know, hard to pitch that one as a, as a hypothetical. Um, but this is the guy that was out shaking horns in hospitals and boasting about it at press conferences. And then all of a sudden, he's got it, Cummings has got it, Gove's got it. And these guys that, you know, decided that they were going to be the ones to lead the nation through this are all in bed or in hospital wrapped up with the flu and you're just like how the fuck did you I mean you didn't just get it wrong on a national level for a number of the steps that were taken or not taken but the number of them that themselves have then been exposed to coronavirus and had to take breaks and take hospital stays at a time of national crisis is absolutely incredible Mm -hmm. Um, and I think none more so than the Prime Minister. And obviously, I would say straight up front, so that there's no misinterpretation, that disliking somebody on a personal level or disliking their policy or their record is not the same as wishing any ill on them or reveling in anybody's ill health or potential death. Because the only death I've ever allowed myself to revel in was Margaret Thatcher's and that's the only one I'm allowing myself in, in you know, the rest of my life so I'm not going to revel in somebody else's ill health you know what I mean but at the same time he's you know the personal embodiment of the weaknesses in policy decisions you know what I mean his in decision making and shaking hands and you know exposing himself and as much as I'm perfectly happy to see him get better like his own condition in itself shows you how appallingly bad his approach to this whole thing has been so far. You know Absolutely. What I, mean? I think um, the clap for Boris was ridiculous. You know what I mean? Let's clap for a guy who stupidly infected himself with his own behaviour and then passed it on to half his colleagues. I mean, I mean, that's just Gammon's uh, attempt at fucking virtue signalling. Like, people, the NHS <laughs> has become a. And, and rightfully so, but it has became a political battering ram for the left, and it's it's that mm-hmm. sort of that shining light of what that type of society that the this maybe even the centre left or the centre and the left see as being 
one of the things that differentiates us for the rest of the Western world is the National Health Service and how it was created and how much we use it as like this sort of I mean foghorn for people about how we support our NHS. Mm-hmm. So clapping for the NHS and the NHS workers who are predominantly working class people seems like a good and right thing to do. But going out there Absolutely. and clapping for somebody who unfortunately for them, and I'm with you, so again, before we, before I even start commenting on it, I don't wish death or ill health on anybody. Like, the absolutely nobody. I don't want anybody to die. But also, it is not wishing death or ill health on somebody by pointing out that they have caused their own situation. I mean, surely the Tories are the biggest fucking advocates for... Um, Action having reaction and personal responsibility. Aye, yeah. and how how they've treated people with universal credit and stripping away uh, people's sort of safety nets and get back to work. And then we've got them signalling virtue, where it's like, how dare you speak ill of our prime minister? Well, I'm sorry, yeah. but I don't wish him ill health. But in the same breath, he personally took a, a stance, a political and what looks like personal stance where he was, I mean, there was a, a press conference where he was saying he was in a, a unit with people that were infected with COVID-19 and he was going up and he was shaking those people's hands. What the yeah. fuck did you expect to happen? You fucking idiot. Like, did you think I, that you were just going to be immune to this? I think, I, 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 I don't know how seriously they took the, it. This is part of the chat that I've also found a wee bit kind of like sickening on the, you know, he went to intensive care. There was a genuine concern in the air. And, and I, you know, as much as I was aware of it, you know, it was something that I kind of felt other people were experiencing in extent. But, like, <clears throat> it's one of these ones where it's, he's a fighter and he's a scrapper. And, you know, that character that he thought was going to protect him, you know, it was just a flu. I'm strong, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. But that is now... The, the way the press are talking about him as if he himself is this, you know, he, his character's going to drag him through this rather than whatever treatment he's receiving. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And the implication is that, I don't know, other people are the fighters and, you know, do we really need, like, headline news to be Prime Minister sits up in bed after four days where he's not on an oxygen mask, he's not on a ventilator and, you know, various other things that have come out that maybe suggest Intensive care might not be the right place for him at this point. You know what I mean? What it's, I it's just so kind of like sycophantic and weird and just I don't know. But the guy is there, as you say, as a result of his own stupidity. I don't think we should be talking about him in heroic terms because he can sit up in bed when nine hundred and thirty-two people died last night. Like, Absolutely, there are serious questions and serious things happening, and this like closing the ranks to like try and pump positivity into people is. I think unnecessary and a bit patronising. Absolutely. I completely and utterly agree with you. Like, a thousand people died yesterday due to this disease. And I get that he's our political leader. And I also get that if he was, unfortunately, like a, a victim of it, it would have probably mm-hmm. have sent shockwaves around the world. Do you know what I mean? There's been Absolutely. A, but... It would have been a constitutional crisis in the UK because there's no meaningful line of succession. I know they designated Rob the designated survivor, uh, which was a bit of a weird one, but there's no, as I say, vice president, there's no 
as you say, the line of succession in any sort of meaningful capacity in a British constitution. So, thankfully, at a time when we already face an unprecedented crisis, we don't then also top up with an unprecedented constitutional crisis with a backdrop of Brexit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there, are, there are some really catastrophic things that could have happened. So, yep, it's great that he's on the mend and hopefully, you know, in the context of all this, he can get back to work and hopefully learn for some of the mistakes that have been made now to actually help make people's lives better on this one. Yeah, I mean, going back to last week when we spoke a couple of conspiracy theories, there's a lot of sort of... Uh, noise and a bit of rumours starting to go about that people are starting to think that this has just been a big massive publicity stunt that this has been like you're saying a way to mm-hmm. sort of immortalise this guy like like you're saying like make him this sort of signal for power and like the great British sort of, we pulled great. through I just had a couple of ropey days but I've pulled through and I've fought this battle and we can do this and blah 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 I'm no quite buying into it. I think that surely to fuck that they would get caught out if they were going to try and do that. Um, Well, you'd you'd imagine at some point his health records will be a matter of public domain. You'd assume as inquiries on whatever else happened in the line. But again, I'm pretty happy to believe, given the nature of what's went on, that he has been genuinely no well. But... Aye, how he got there is as a result of his own sort of avarice and all of his own stupidity and hubris, sorry, was the word I was looking for there. Um, but I, I, you know, he shouldn't have been held up as an example. There's so many other positive examples out there. And I think I'd much rather focus on them. I mean, there's like student nurses who are ending their courses early to go and join, you know, the front lines in hospitals and care homes. There's, you know, distilleries and breweries who are retooling you know, there's kit to put together hand sanitizer and donating it to the local communities. There's folk making, you know, food on masters. And even the other one I quite liked was uh, companies who have 3D printing machines retooling all their kit to create um, personal protective equipment on like an unprecedented basis. Like the innovation and the speed at which so many people have switched on to this um, is something that I've actually found really inspiring. And I think. You know, if we're looking for examples of this, you know, great British spirit that, you know, seems to be you know, trying to be instilled in Johnson's character, I'd much rather look at these people and say, well, hold on, when I hear their words, these are the guys that I think of, so maybe give them a wee bit more love, you know what I mean? Fucking right, man, absolutely. I mean, I watched a podcast last night, um, the latest Joe Rogan podcast, I can't remember the guy's <laughs> name, but the guy is a AI specialist, so he works at some sort of massive company and he's... Basically, try to create artificial intelligence within computer systems, and he'd said that okay. the private sector in America has come together, or worldwide. That he was saying worldwide, he was talking about companies in Britain, companies in Singapore, companies in America. He's like, we've come together in a way that has never been seen before, and this is a, a an intelligent guy, more than intelligent than my arm, and need to take his own face value. He reckons that the um, vaccine work that's been done about 18 years worth of work has been done in the last three weeks. Wow. Which is insane. Fucking insane. They've literally downed their tools. They've stopped working on whatever technological advances or whatever it is that they're working for for private businesses and they've been instructed by those businesses to start putting whatever they can, their expertise, where can they use it? They can use it here, they can use it there. And that's what he's saying that 
that he reckons that 18 years worth of vaccine what's been done over the course of three weeks and it was just mind-blowing um, and that's incredible but the bad news was he still thinks it'll take up to 18 months before they can roll anything out but he was saying that that yeah. is they're going to have a vaccination that's that could be the quality of 15 to 18 years worth of work in the space of 18 months and I think that this is part of what we were talking about and what we've been talking about pretty much since the crisis is is that a lot of people are going to see that there is a different way of doing things. Um, there's Aye. going to be better ways for us all to either come together for common good, like environmental purposes. Or these are the types of positivity. No, the fake positivity or jumping out with your fucking tap off and your bulldog tattoo in your chest with a fucking pot and pan and shouting for <laughs> fucking Boris. Like, that isn't the type of positivity that I want. The type of positivity that I want to hear is, is that private businesses have instructed are well-paid and are highly intelligent employees to put their heads together with some of the other highly intelligent people on the planet and get us some fucking solutions for this. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. One of the things that I'd seen the other day that, I mean, fucking guy's clearly a fucking dick, but was this whole right. idea that we shouldn't be criticising the government and the government's reaction to this? Um, because well, this is where there should be an inquiry guy yeah that was it aye there should be there shouldn't be an inquiry into this although he did advocate that we should learn somehow for this situation but we shouldn't make any inquiries into the decisions that have been made now yeah. I, I live with somebody who's self-employed um, and <clears throat> I mean other than an announcement to say that there's a potential or let's just take it on face value again and say they're going to get money in June. This is something that's impacting people from the 23rd of March. We're, we're potentially yeah. looking at the real proper like down tools, isolation and impact mm -hmm. on people. So they're expecting, this is just an example of how the government's decision, we need to look into it, how they've let people down is that there, there are so many people out there that are self-employed, potentially single parents that are going to need to go for the 23rd of March until the middle of June with absolutely no yeah. fucking money, no support other than universal credit. Mm -hmm. So... It's, 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 uh, it's a tough one, man. These are... I mean, I so get that... So many people are going to struggle in those terms. Absolutely. Abso absolutely. I get that this is, again, unprecedented, but I think that surely universal income, like a universal basic income, was the fucking common sense decision to make here yeah. and not to inject money into private businesses to keep them afloat I just mm. I, I, I've, I, I, there needs to be some support for business I get that, I understand that but we're coming back to yeah. this whole sort of situation of economics above human life and people's Aye. livelihood, do you know what I mean um, there's been loads of stuff about homeless people, how homeless people are getting treated um, police are being instructed to get these people off the street and how they're doing it is the same way as what they're doing to people that are breaking the social distancing and try to sort of issue tickets and fines to people, which just blows mm -hmm. my fucking mind. I just don't understand, like, where we've, we've decided that we can just abandon people like this. I think it's been a long process and it's been the journey that we've been on as part of the UK for, you know, 20, 30 years. There's just the, the sort of symptoms of that. Like, um, as you say, I'm, I'm with you in this one. Like these are the things we kind of go back to. Um, you know, I think I seen a tweet for um, help homeless and 
Glasgow saying that on their checks last night they never found a single person on the street in the areas that they had checked because action around social distancing had been taken. And you're like, well, hold on. As we've said before in previous episodes, we kind of go backwards on that one. Like, universal basic income, as you say, probably would have been the easiest and fairest way to approach handing money out. Um, but then again, people's incomes are wildly different up and down the country. And again, somebody who would have been better half on 80% of two and a half grand, 1200 quid, it's not the same as getting somebody who earns £800 a month, 1200 quid. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, you know, it's one of the ones where you would need to have a real, like, meaningful amount of money going to people to cover all the bases but in terms of administration and emergency yeah just flat up just going here everybody there's money back would have probably been a quicker and easier option but ideologically it's not something that this government is going to engage in they've already been perfectly clear that that's the case and we know why it's because it would show austerity for what it is if people had the time and the freedom to make more informed decisions about where they work and had that ability that, you know, to say no because they had the income in the background, then, you know, that's pretty much against, you know, the policies of this government over the course of the last 10 years. They don't want workers really having a choice. They don't want people to be able to say no. You know what I mean? So ideologically, it's the antithesis of what they stand for. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So... I don't, you know, even in the face of this emergency, it was never going to happen here, I don't think. And that's been pretty clear in terms of how they've approached this already because, mm-hmm. you know, universal basic income has been discussed at length and I think the police here have been completely clear in the fact that they want nothing to do with it. I mean, it's essentially, you know, the silver bullet to austerity and they would never give people access to it because it would immediately undermine their entire policy making across the course of the last 10 years. Um, It's a completely ideological decision that flies in the face of what people actually need. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that we're seeing a few examples around the world, Um, not just in the UK where ideology is dictating a nation's response to this sort of virus. Um, And obviously, pre-recording you had you know, mentioned some of the comments with the, the Brazilian president, who is the sort of South American Trump wannabe. Yeah. Um, what was it he was saying? Just basically kind of like let the chips fall where they may. Kind of um, I mean, it looks, he's out, he's out and about and he's shaking people and he's hugging people. He's gaining at the, he's gaining at smiles and waves and he's going into crowds of people and their country's not going into lockdown. Um, I read an article the other day, which was really interesting um, about, by a guy who used to be a a trader and he made a lot of money mm-hmm. in the 2008 crash and since then he's became an economics expert um, and he advises right. mainly banks and businesses on predictions. I think there's a lot of these guys that got that prediction right and the big Aye. businesses and banks have realised that the guys that they've got in positions uh, that were supposed to do that job didn't have a fucking clue what was going on. So, and so like modeling now. Aye, so this guy's a, a basically like a, a an economic modeler. So aye, that's a, that's a, a good sort of way to put it. And I read a, a a short article that he had put up about his prediction for the sort of next next five to ten years, and he predicted mm-hmm. that there would be mass starvation in South America and Africa, yeah. um, amongst other things. Um, he actually made quite a lot of sense because we spoke last week about where when the Notre Dame 
uh, cathedral burnt down, or it was maybe a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. The the rich and the famous and the, the the powerful came out and started to throw down a couple of million here and a couple of million there, and I think they managed to raise yeah. something like sixty million quid a night to try and rebuild the Notre Dame Cathedral. And I had asked the question, and it was an open question. I think that where are they now? <laughs> Basically, mm-hmm. where are these guys? Like we need you. Um, and in that article, he had stated that the super rich and the mega rich what will be doing is taking note of what happened in two thousand and eight and holding on to their cash because everything's just about to get diluted due to the quantitative easing and the amount of cash that we've just printed around the planet to basically support the working and middle class get through this. And so property prices and business prices and shares are about to hit rock bottom. These guys will be holding on to their cash, according to him, on the advice of their financial advisors in the hope Mm -hmm. that they can swoop in, buy all these uh, shares and the cash that's been printed by the government will then filter through to them because they will mm-hmm. just take that extra wealth that's being created. If there's a hundred billion getting printed by the Bank of England, that's potential capital that they can get their hands on. Um, so that's that's maybe explaining why that question we were asking, where the fuck are they when we need them? Yeah. They're holding on to their, their socks. So they're waiting that, to see what happens, basically. Exactly. But the other prediction that the guy made was is that in the financial financially unstable markets around the planet, mainly parts of Asia, Africa, and South America. They don't have their own central bank. They don't have the ability to print their own currency. These guys are just Mm going to go basically doing the fucking swanee, and there'll be mass sort of homelessness, mass starvation happening on these continents. And to battle Mm -hmm. that, I don't know if this is this guy's way of battling that, as he's basically saying if it's 5% population that gets wiped out by this virus, fucking bring it on and that's the way that it yeah. seems i mean it's getting painted obviously there's a pr campaign around it and he's out himself and he's yeah. shaking hands and all that but this sort of feels like that's what's happening in brazil kind of similar to the herd immunity arguments and i think when you look at you know sort of right-wing governments it's probably no surprising that there are some of them with similarities obviously you know right now five percent of the population in brazil is very eerily echoing, you know, the herd immunity chat that we heard in the UK. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to America, you know, Trump, last week he was on talking about how his briefings about deaths was the highest rated show on TV, <laughs> as if anybody gave a fuck. Yeah. But now, this week, he's talking about his response has been so effective that it will be a result of 200,000 people die. And you're like, dude, what the fuck? Like, this, ideolo- this ideological sort of disconnect for, you know, business and actual humanity is, like, really jarring and really sort of prevalent and the, the sort of rhetoric being used by a number of these guys on, you know, the right wing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as well, when it comes to, you know, when you talk about the finances side of things, like, the one that's really sort of jumped out at me this week is particularly in America is Trump. Um, obviously, the, he is in the process, or his administration, shall we say, is in the process of pushing um, a kind of anti-malarial drug that anecdotally shows that it can combat COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not been any long-term or any sort of meaningful studies in this area. And the American CMO is saying that there's not enough evidence to support this. Hmm. Various other members of the American administration believe that there is enough evidence to the point where pretty much a fist fight broke out in the in the US sort of situation room, um, and this was all reported across you know things like the New York Times and you know Wall Street etc. Wow. Um, some pretty credible stuff, 
And on top of that, you know, they also ran a report in subsequent days that indicated that at least two of the Trump family trusts, and, and, I'm, and I'm pretty sure you can see where this sentence is going, um, two of the, the Trump family trusts are actively invested in the company that provides this drug that wow. the American administration are trying to actually promote without any meaningful evidence. And it's quite funny to watch Trump at the start of these, you know, press conferences while there's an actual chief medical officer briefing out information on this. He's standing there at the side of the podium like a fucking nightclub bouncer, deciding, <laughs> you know, which questions get in and out. And I've never in my entire life seen anything like it. Mm. Um but he's obviously trying to manage and shape the narrative to an extent that he will literally physically put himself as a barrier between journalists and answers. Uh, even on sort of televised, you know, press conferences, it's absolutely wild. Oh, yeah. um, I think one of the kind of like funniest aspects of this for me, and I know obviously you, you sort of referenced Pence as somebody whose advice is going to be pretty crucial to how Trump packs in the coming weeks. Fucking um, read them in form. In the corner. <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was like a line for the New York Times article um, about the, the, the dust up in the situation room. And it was that Mike Pence sits at the head of the situation room table. Now, this is a guy who thinks that, you know, basically they can pray this away. Um, mm. And, you know, in a place like the, the United States White House's situation room, I'd expect anybody you know, anybody but the president to be there to be absolutely wild. I mean, Aye. I'm assuming Trump has like a wee colouring table that they've set up in like the corner of the room or something while the adults talk. Um, <laughs> Aye, like I, a fucking, like a Toby Calvary. He's at the fucking, <laughs> he's at the kids' Calvary and Mike Pence and Aye. the rest of them are at the adult Calvary. So is, well, is Trump in the room? Trump's in the room in the situation yeah, room. They've got everybody around the Mike table. Mike Pence is at the head of the and table. Mike Pence. So this is kind of showing you who is actually in charge? What makes me fearful with this guy be being the the advisor to whether or not like what happens next or in charge of these things and and having a real say, which the vice president actually does and Disney depending on who the administrator is. I think. I mean, yeah. It, but this guy is part of the religious right in America that believes in the sort of fire and brimstone. Fucking, touch the screen and you'll get killed. A book of Revelations. It's almost a strange one where the the administration in America come out and blame China for this when they believe mm. in God's will. So surely they've got to just be sitting back and going, well, God wanted this to happen. If God wanted you mm. in your position of power and God wanted everything else to happen run about you, then why is this virus no part of his will and why are we fighting it? Which gives me the fear mm. that potentially they'll do what's happening in Brazil. It's like Brazil's a social experiment for America where they potentially might yeah. just roll the fucking dice on people's lives. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, which and is, I think there's evidence that that's the case. I mean, uh, all I was left with in terms of that New York Times article about this was just the image of like, Mike Pence sat at the head of the Situation Room table while the world falls apart at the seams like, mm. I don't know, man, like the world's fucking whitest Bond villain. Like, it was... <laughs> like Don Corleone and the first fucking uh, the guy for this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, somebody was like, pick the last person you want really running this. Like, the big Trump and then Pence would probably be a close second. You know what I mean? Like, but again, it's, it is the world that we live in at the minute. Mm. You know what I mean? We're... We are led by the least is. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's mean? another worrying aspect coming out for the right as well, not just in America. This is I think that this will probably be across the board. This will be um like it'll be think tank 
sort of people mm-hmm. in the no like the Boris Johnsons or the Reese Moggs of the world, but the people that have actually got the I mean, I I, I don't want to say the brains. But the people that come up with the actual ideas that these guys run with, because these guys don't come up with the, the main ideas. There's people that sit no. behind it and come up with these sort of, uh, like the Donald Rumsfeld, the, the guys exactly. that sit behind the George W. Bush and the, the Boris Johnson uh, and actually feed them their fucking stupidity. Um, mm-hmm. th- there's, a, there's a talk coming out of weighing up how many people will die due to the virus and how many people will die due to the economic downturn that happens after the virus? Yeah. Now, for my mind, economics, the market, currency, and how we live in that realm is man-made. So yeah. if people are going to die like they have during the pre sorry post-2008 austerity plan that we've seen get mm-hmm. rolled out, and we've been told now that there was a different way of dealing with us. There could have been different ways of dealing with us. Why are they telling us that there are going to be like set in stone, unequivocal deaths that happen post us due to the economic downturn? Surely we have got that yeah. within our political control and within our clout. The, the economic downturn that happened after both the First and the Second World War were managed by the governments that were in place. Why can the mm-hmm. guys that we've got in place now not see the fucking light? Do you know what I mean? Like, no see the well, fucking woods for the can. trees? They probably can, but again, we're back on ideology here. Do you think we're a Tory government that spent the last 10 years, you know, being responsible tens to hundreds of thousands of deaths as a result of their policy making, as much as they have, you know, acted largely in what the, you know, you could argue is a nation's self interest, even if they've reacted? very sort of criminally slowly in a lot of places. Um, you know, do you think we are on the other side of this going to go, guys, do you know what? We really learned a lesson here. Like we really need to make sure that our policies actually are fit for purpose to look after the people of this country. Or do you think we're gonna go, thank fuck that, sir, and let's get back to business. Oh, they're going to go, thank fuck that, sir, let's get back to business. But as we've been talking to each other over the course of the last sort of four weeks, that's the type of thing that the majority of the people seem in this country are, well, it might well just be within my own personal echo chamber. There's people in the country clapping for Boris Johnson. Like, Mm. the echo chambers are not, and as we've said, we've been disappointed politically so many times in the last 10 years that the echo chamber is not representative of what's going on in the rest of the country. Uh, That's true, man. You know what I mean? There was people up and down the country clapping for an idiot who fucking got himself and half his workmates infected. Like, these people are sheep who do not have the purpose, you know, the the potential for critical thinking on this one. They just go with the flow because Mm -hmm. it's the easiest thing for today. You know what I mean? They don't see change in their everyday life as a result of political yeah. change so the same they day don't that, engage with it in the manner that's it the same day that Boris got let out of intensive care and the sun ran a headline saying Boris is back in big bold white writing a thousand people Aye. died of the coronavirus it was the and single biggest died every night since. that's it and it's the biggest it's the single biggest 24 hour every day since that day on Wednesday yep. we've had the UK has had the record for the single biggest 24 hours of deaths for this virus mm-hmm. within mainland Europe or uh, within yeah. Europe. So It's interesting well, to see the health secretary go, well, we've surpassed Italy, and they go, well, we've got, more, we've got a bigger population than Italy, so we would expect to have more numbers as a result. And they went, aye, but what about Germany? Germany's got a significantly bigger population, mm-hmm. but an absolutely massively less 
definitely. Although, yeah, we are looking at Germany as an example. And you're like, that's not answering the question. That's that's just going, oh, I know, I noticed that as well. And you're like, what kind of fucking answer is that? Right. Yeah, I mean, they think they can get away with that. I think the press needs to help their game a wee bit on this. Oh, for and sure. And obviously, the, the Mattis girl at um, Newsnight sort of dug out, you know, coronavirus is not a great level and you know the speech was was nice um, but we definitely need to see more of that kind of sentiment because like we were saying you know in previous episodes like, the press have a responsibility to scrutinise here and as much as we want national morale not to take a, a hit we can't be blind to the fact that the government's choices have left us in a position we are currently and looking in future to be the country worst affected by this. Mm. Um, so yeah, big, big, big questions need answered, and we need more of that. Absolutely, and no letting them just go. Oh, I know. Yeah, we were looking at Germany. Like that's not an answer, and that's not an answer a journalist in this country should accept either. Absolutely, talking about national morale. Um, mm-hmm. We had old Betty give us a wee speech for. Um, where is she? Where is she currently? Uh, she in, she in the bunker. Um, what? Fuck knows. <laughs> I, like, Where are the royals? And the and the lizard then. And <laughs> the lizard then. I mean, I I personally didn't pay that much attention to it. Like, I don't watch the the Christmas speech or anything. I, I, I kind of found it a bit odd, to be honest with you. I'm with you. Where the Christmas speech comes out, I don't really pay a lot of attention to it. Um, I know that given the scenario we're in just now, there is a, a, an almost kind of like wartime feel to what's happening out there in the country, mm-hmm. and that. Announcements for the quote unquote head of state, um, especially in the absence of a functional prime minister, are probably, you know, to be expected. Um, that should be in the last ten years if it's in the pr- in the know. absence of a functional prime minister. Well, if it's no fucking functional <laughs> prime minister for the last ten years, I'm kidding on me. Sorry, mate. But um, like there was the Christmas speech is something that we come to expect. So I don't think people really anticipate it in the same way that an announcement or a, a speech in a moment of crisis is anticipated. And like there was a sort of palpable anticipation about what the Queen was about to say. And I found that a bit weird. One, like you, I don't really engage with the royal family in that respect. But at the same time, I also kind of thought to myself, she never she never says anything controversial. She always says, like, pull together or, you know, be nice to each other. Or, yeah. It's always a very broad, very generic message that you get. And I get that that is possibly mm. soothing to some people, as appears to have been the case. But I don't get what the anticipation of, like, guys chill out and be nice to each other really was. Mm. All right. So my brain kind of was like, I wonder if, like, maybe she's about to announce something that is out with the norm and that, you know, people in the know have caught wind of this and that's why this anticipation is actually kind of starting to build. Right. And I did kind of like go down a bit of a rabbit hole thought process-wise as to like, what could she be announcing that could cause this stir amongst the, you know, the people that anticipate what she's got to say. <laughs> and I had kind of like... I'd kind of like coyed with putting like a wee poll up on the, on the Rebel City Twitter feed. Um, but I'm going to be honest with you, man. I absolutely shat it. Um, <laughs> so I'll give, you, I'll give you the options and you'll probably work out why I didn't post it to be fair. So the first one, given that we're at a time of crisis, was that maybe somebody in the royal family had died as a result of coronavirus. Um, my, my money would have been on Prince Philip, given he's had you know, he is, whatever, 256 years old. Um, <laughs> Looks like he's dead already. Yeah, I, he's been ill recently and 
step back for public life and blah 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 and you know this ticks a lot of the boxes that we're told to look out for in terms of vulnerabilities to coronavirus yeah. so I thought maybe there was a chance that Philip had died and this was going to be the announcement obviously that wasn't the case um, the second one was that she was donating some of her wealth to help the people at the NHS during this crisis so don't, don't laugh um, you know they were going to take the empty Buckingham Palace and turn it into like a you know 800 room you know, super hospital or whatever it is during the process of this. But yeah, again, that wasn't really it either. Um, I know that during this process, you know, people are dealing with a lot of boredom. You know what I mean? A lot of people are trying to amuse themselves. Sure. There's only so much, there's only so much Netflix you can watch. Um, you know, there's only so many podcasts that you can listen to per se. Um, so I thought maybe she was going to try and do a bit to alleviate the national boredom and like declassify the files on her killing Diana so that we all had something to read. <laughs> Which again... Oh, fuck. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um... That would have been interesting. I, I mean, you, uh, that would have been a very interesting twenty-four hours if they had. I just went off. So I forget your Netflix, forget all your whatever you're doing. Sit down. Here's the declassified fucking files on the death of Diana. Ooh. I think aye, it was definitely kept us busy for a couple of days at least. You know what I mean? Absolutely. She's just wanting to be a part. Absolutely. I think the last one as well, which you know, definitely was the one when when I typed up the tweet, I was like, you know what? Actually, no, don't post this shit, man. Like. And it's that, like, in the UK, you know, people seem to go mental for a royal baby. And, like, I thought that, you know, maybe the Queen was going to do her part and just, like, announce that she was pregnant. <laughs> oh, who would be the da? Um, Who's the guy that's I'm supposed sure to be? probably quite a lot. Well, I was going to say, quite a lot of our Celtic supporting fans are probably shouting Michael Fagan. Michael Fagan, aye, uh, absolutely. Uh, the right now. Uh, who's um, fucking, we'll, who's we'll, supposed to be Harry's da? Who was that guy again? The fucking. The Hewitt. Uh, maybe it was Hewitt, but yeah. I would have probably put aye. my money on Randy Andy being the fucking. another fucking <laughs> inbred fucking piece no, of shit getting shot out. She's, she's too old for him. What's kind of telling um, about that situation is that. The probably the least likely one of all the options is probably the wealth. The one that I, that I my gut told me was the least likely to happen was that she would gear wealth. Like I seen a thing the other day where it, it was a an advert on it might have been a, a clip for a newspaper. I can't even remember, but somebody posted it, and it was we need to raise thirty million pound for the NHS. And again, mm-hmm. they're asking me you. Do you know what I mean? Go normal me. people. How about the fucking queen gives up her twenty-eight million pound fucking yearly allowance and these that the fucking NHS or one or many billions that are family or like you said, man. I think that giving up vacant fucking palaces to NHS workers, either a like they've done with the hotels for comfortable pe- places for people to stay, or as a fucking mm-hmm. mega hospital instead of erecting a fucking gazebo in the middle of fucking wherever and filling it for a bed. Aye. I don't know, man. That probably get me a wee bit on side with the fucking bastards. There was a thing I where do you know what I mean? But there was a thing where um, I seen a bit of engagement where somebody had posted, uh, "Who cares what the Queen says?" and somebody had come in and said that she's the head of state. And it's part of your role and have some respect. I mean, in my lifetime, that family has done absolutely fucking zero to gain my respect. I get that there's a prince's trust, that there's a lot of sort of infrastructure charity work where there's a couple of thousand people within a charity that work where one of the Windsors is the figurehead. But they've done nothing to earn my respect as a, a human being. Absolutely fuck mm-hmm. all. They're amongst the richest people on the planet. 
they're our head of state and they do nothing but take and don't give an adequate amount back. If they took 29 million out of your taxpayer coffers and there was a billion pound going back into it, fair fucks. But yeah. I don't see the respect that the people that not some people within the countries that we love within the UK just think that they've got to give these people respect because her great 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 granddad managed to swindle somebody or beat somebody in a fucking battle to get his title. Like the the actual speech itself, and I like the message about we need to look back at this time and be proud of how we acted, and I think that mm-hmm. that is a message that should run right the way through society for government, business, and all the way down to individuals. But see in my mind, see your, your speech, your 10-minute speech in front of your fucking gold piano or whatever you are, you can fucking ram it up your hole because you have done nothing to support this. Why are they not making announcements about donations? Why is she not telling us what that they're doing? They've run away to... It looks like they've run away to Aberdeen to their fucking mansion in Aberdeen and they'll come back mm. out their fucking hole when uh, the the virus has been and gone. Like, this isn't a, yeah. we're in this together. Like, we are not in this together. Do you know what I mean? Like, no. you've got a fucking 20-bedroom palace or whatever to go and roam and grounds. They're probably away fucking pheasant shooting. Like, genuinely, like, I, I'm just fuck them. Do you know what I mean? That's what All I right. can say on it, man. <laughs> I mean, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I do get that, like the, you know, the sort of political bubble that we were talking about just a few minutes ago, like this is probably another one where the overwhelming majority of folk probably don't agree with us across the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see in, I don't see a meaningful cost benefit going on with what goes in versus what comes out. Um, and in times of crisis, I think we should be able to expect more, word, more than words for the people that want to try and lead us through this situation. Um, and I don't think either of the two of the things are, are sort of evident here. Um, I think it probably, you know, I don't really have much more to say on, nah, on that know. other than that it was a bit of weird anticipation. But I think on notions of leadership, um, we have a new Labour leader. Beautiful segue, um, which is another one of the one of the you know um, well, we're getting almost like nineteen seventies like radio DJ about it now you know what I mean like, <laughs> we're seeing those opportunities and you know, be a bit more slick aye so well um, I suck here um, I'm a bit underwhelmed I'm going to be honest aye, with you okay. I think the Labour Party has went for you know somebody who sections they were pressing media wanted to portray some sort of socialist guerrilla um, mm-hmm. and one they're having a, a, a Labour Party movement that is led by a knight of the realm um, yeah. it's a bit of a switch up absolutely me, mate so it, is, it's, uh, it seems I mean we've already seen him out sucking the fucking teeth uh, Rupert Murdoch and yeah, I mean, he's he's pretty much done like sort of written statements in a lot of the newspapers. Mm-hmm. Other than being massively disappointed at the fact that we had how long nine year eight years uh, listening to uh, the press pretty much smear Jeremy Corbyn, who mm-hmm. was actually a bit of a political radical, and I would say, I mean, as much as I don't agree with a hundred percent where the guy was going. I would have much rather that that guy was in charge right now. I think that we would be living in a very, very different country had he yeah. won the last general election. I think we'd have probably seen universal basic income come in straight away, yeah. like we've seen in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. The main disappointing thing for me is, is that he, 
it seems like a cynical move by the Labour Party to move back to the centre ground to try and win yeah. whatever next election comes up. Um, Definitely. I mean, I think, to be honest with you, I've seen his announcement um, for what looked like, you know, his whole cupboard. Um, as I'm, I'm assuming he must have done it in between games of hide and seek with his wins. And, <laughs> like, I kind of was reminded of the... Um, you know, episode of Futurama where there's the election and they have the two identical candidates standing next to each other and you've got David Johnson versus John Davidson. Uh, and, like, <laughs> this is the type of candidate that I look at Keir Starmer and I think, well, he's, like, a slightly diluted version. So, uh, the guy McIntyre, um, uh, Drew, Drew McIntyre, right? Drew McIntyre, um, one, mate. As I say, I know he's a Rangers man because he's been having a bit of back and forth with Sutton since the win. Um, I've got to be honest with you, like, I was, I think... <clears throat> It's probably a wee, well, for me anyway, is a bit of an indication of how understimulated we are. Um, mm. Because I got up on Monday morning and my entire Twitter feed was just spammed up with wrestling. And I'm not trying to be doing on it. I get that, you know, as a, as entertainment, like there is some serious skill and some serious dedication involved and stuff like that. Um, it's just not something that I personally have a lot of interest in. So to see so many people on both the Rebel City feed and my own personal feed be so intense about like wrestling I was like are all these people into wrestling and I've just no noticed mm-hmm. or is there an element where this is the only thing resembling sport that's happening and people have just jumped on it you know Aye. what I mean like, I'm, I was um, the same I, 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 I think it was a bit of both I think that it's probably just been the, the lack of other things happening has amplified it onto your feed and also people out there that are starving for sport and starving for the football to come back or the rugby or the golf or mm-hmm. the Formula One or just jumping on anything that they can get. I mean, it is mm-hmm. essentially soap opera with spandex, muscles and sweat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, Also, how do you socially distance when you're wrestling someday? <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Like, uh, maybe right. thumb wrestling. This is where they're probably <laughs> they're dying to get like, automation involved. They're probably like looking like the FIFA, UEFA, like the 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 multi-billion pound corporate governing bodies mm. of sporting, like Formula One. Can we do drone Formula One racing? It's going to be like sort of people that only super fit athletes. They're better at computer games controlling it and get the cars out there. Yeah. Um, I think that they'll pr- probably go for drone destruction derby. Like, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun, man. I mean, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I fucking watched the highlights of the Celtic. Who was it? Celtic Dundee, Celtic Cabs. Can't even remember. I think it was St Johnston. St Johnston. I Celtic St Johnston was played in Proev at Celtic Park like three weeks ago, and I watched the goals and was like, "What the fuck are you doing, man?" But it shows <laughs> you that sort of appetite that we've got right. for the norm and appetite that we've got for sort of sporting events to the point mm-hmm. where a lot of people, excuse me, a lot of people more than normal seem to be commentating on um, uh, the WrestleMania and I think that you're, you're bang on man it is a, just a sign there was a virtual Grand National as well last week when, as well wasn't there oh I didn't catch that dude I did not I, I, I think there was that. that's yeah. crazy that's so crazy there is elements of this already in play Aye, absolutely I mean just to finish the podcast off as we're sort of wrapping up I did want to sort mm-hmm. of mention the guy's story um, the guy Drew McIntyre he's got, yeah. an, he's got an incredible story um, he started right. out in a sort of local uh, wrestling company which is now ICW with Mark Dallas mm-hmm. he started that out and he was like their first ever like world champion even though I think yeah, they only, they'd only wrestled in Maryhill technically he's their world champion um, right. at, at a young age I, I don't know quite the the 
the exact numbers and ages and stuff. I'm basically going to paraphrase the guy's story, but it's just to mm. tell people like how much an inspiration this guy actually is. I mean, put aside yeah. the fact that he's a hun and he wears <laughs> a, 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 a Rangers tap that looks like was made for a four-year-old and he's stretching his fucking muscles into it with McCoy's nine on the back. So he's celebrating basically deed rangers um, right. and he's got a fucking Gerard Butler style American Scottish accent oh but, no and, and it, the Ewan McGregor it, it's worse mate like go and listen to him go. oh no but felt like horns up the guy would kick my fucking balls but and oh, to- no and on top of that he's got what a story he's got because he started out with ICW he got picked up with the WWE might have even been still the WWF back in the day um, hmm. at a young age um, let's just say like 20, 21 year old. He went through their ranks uh, trying to quote unquote make it, even though I think getting right. probably a couple of hundred grand to wrestle for a living in my mind would be you fucking made it. Um, Aye, definitely. He became like their intercontinental champion, which is kind of like their first division. So it's like their, no, their heavyweight champion. Think Mel sort of like Mr. Perfect instead of. Hulk Hogan back in the day Hulk Hogan yeah. was the heavyweight champion and guys like Razor Ramon Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect Bret Hart, Continental right. champions he won that title um, and then his career just kind of spiraled he went off the sort of radar as far as wrestling was concerned in the mainstream right. in the American mainstream I think he experienced I don't know if it was related to his career taking a downturn but he's one his parents died and I know that it okay. happened really hard that he was in America and he couldn't get back and he was working I'd seen a documentary on BBC iPlayer where he was talking about it and he was choking up and he was just saying that it was a, a really tough time and um, he totally could, he he, absolutely and again if I'm getting facts wrong here apologies I'm trying to tell like the guy's story in a positive light um, I'm no like slagging the guy he came back to ICW um, maybe about sort of 2017 2016 maybe 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 after that but he came back at a sort of to a fanfare at the Barrowlands where they turned mm-hmm. out the lights at the Barrowlands and they brung the lights back on and he was standing in the middle of the ring and it was like the return of the king type thing but right. this guy had been in the mainstream wrestling and like on Sky Sports, and it was yeah. almost like coming back. I'm sure it 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 didn't. F- it might have felt like this. It maybe no, but to like wrestling fans, I'm sure it looked like he was just coming back to his level, finding he's finding mm. his level again as like their main guy. But for that yeah. point, we're talking maybe two or three years. That guy has went through, went up and down the country wrestling with Mark Dallas again. Then he's went mm-hmm. to the, the WWE NXT division, which is like the next generation where we're seeing guys yeah. like Grado and Wolfgang, like other Scottish wrestlers are starting to make it in that NXT next generation division. Yeah. And then he wins the Royal Rumble and he becomes the top guy in the world of wrestling. Now, as I, as as you were saying, it it's no real, like it's no real competition, I would say, but these guys mm. are athletes no doubt, put their, yep. their bodies at risk on a daily basis and it's probably yep. one of the fucking hardest things to get yourself, I think do you know what I mean? Footballers complain about playing football twice a week, you know what I mean? Like, these guys these are guys wrestling, are wrestling, wrestling twice, a what, twice a day. Twice a day sometimes. Five night, you know, every other night of the week yep. they're travelling from city to city, country to country, like there's a serious physical 
prolong it and it take it does take a serious level of talent and determination to get through it and get to that level. So Absolutely. I mean the guys I'll, I'll check out that documentary mate if you send us a link to it or something because Absolutely, mate. that's definitely like a a, a real story of like redemption and sort of second chances and stuff like that and like I'd definitely be interested to check Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. I don't think we see enough people stick to their guns. This is one thing that, that really inspired me about his story is, is <clears> that he didn't try and fail. He tried and made it and then mm-hmm. just went back down the ranks as people's career, as he's went to his 30s, and maybe yep. like as people's careers wind down, and then the guy has went right to the fucking top. And I get why so many people were tweeting about it, especially in Scotland, but also yeah. just in a wider sense of determination, sticking to your guns, no gain up on yourself, and actually and having faith in yourself, having faith, faith in yourself, in your exactly, it is an incredible story. And fair fucks to the guy, absolutely amazing. Definitely. And he's out there saying that he'll wrestle Chris Sutton in the middle of Hamden. So let's yeah. hope that we get to fucking see that. <laughs> That'd be I'd fucking amazing. To see that, I'd love to see that. It would be, I'm sure you know every Rangers supporter on the face of the planet would probably like to see it as well. But aye, that would be fun. Absolutely. But I just wanted to wind up with that man. Um, Aye. Do you know what I mean? It was just a, a nice positive story for us to sort of wind up on. Um, Definitely, mate. So, like, again, mate, thanks for, like, calling in and putting some time and effort into the podcast this week, man. I, I really Not do appreciate one. it because it's this is something that really does take... It's one of the very few things that I've got that just really, like, takes me out of the room and takes me out of my head. And, like, there's a lot of just Definitely. sort of feeling like cabin fever just now. And after I do these podcasts, Aye. I do feel like... Like I've decompressed a wee bit, so I cheers, man. Uh, I've got to be honest. We have been now that I'm sort of three, four weeks deep myself. I'm starting to feel a real level of tension in a number of aspects, and it is something that has been, you know, as much an outlet for me in this no time as anything else. So, no worries, mate. I've really enjoyed it, and we'll we'll get caught up again over the next couple of days and sort next week out. Aye, no worries, mate. Cheers again, man. Take care. No worries, catch you later, mate. Inside it grows below the upper line hole. You know you tried to hold you tightly by my side When all is crashing down You'll never reach the surface You live underground Sky fire comes around When the steering falls to the ground There is panic on the streets A blackened sea full of shuffling feet Sky fire can't you see You can try but you won't break me
never reach the surface You live underground Skyfire comes around When the steel ring falls to the ground There is panic on the streets A blackened sea for the shove on the feet Skyfire you can't you see You can try but you won't break me Try but you won't break me, me.